On the Pilot TV podcast this week, we're taking a trip to Singleville with Kat Dennings in Star's slightly surreal comedy Dollface, finding ourselves in the unusual situation of watching a law-abiding Brian Cranston abandon his regular life for one of crime in Sky's Your Honor, and, let's be honest, torturing Terry and Boyd for my own twisted amusement by making them watch this week's new bonus episodes of The Walking Dead. I'm James Dyer, and welcome to the Pilot TV podcast, a show that is interested in one thing... And one thing only, and that is Bent Coppers. Now, I'm not saying I disappeared down a line of duty rewatch hole this week, but I've watched so much of this show that at this point I'm pretty sure I've become the UCO inside the OCG. So, joining me today, after having been served the necessary Reg 15 notices, are my two Pilot TV colleagues. First up, I am joined by a podcast SIO of formerly good standing who has shown egregious lapses in professional judgment with regard to her casual dismissal of such televisual masterpieces as and Fate the Wink Saga. It's DCI Terry White. Are you well? Uh, I'm good, James. Um, it's really weird how when y- you become, arbitrarily usually, <laughs> at a time that makes no sense, obsessed with something, you, you, you then, the entire world becomes mm. about that thing, even though nobody yeah. else is where you are, nobody else is kind 100%. of in the same place. You, you, you reshape the world around you to match your current obsession. Have you noticed that? It is It is. A, it's my special superpower. It's, it's yeah. very uh-huh. WandaVision, isn't it? Yeah. It is yeah. very WandaVision, yes. <laughs> I am very much creating a hex of my own reality and at the moment it is AC12 Uh, and to that end we are also joined by Pilot TV's very own balaclava man the one the only Mr Boyd the caddy Hilton how are you fella? I'm all right. I insist on being interviewed by someone with a rank one higher than you are. (laughs) Very good. Very good. You may be wondering why I've gone all Ted Hastings this week, given that we are actually still a little way off from Line of Duty Series 6, although it's getting close now. No, I've uh, I've not had an early look at the new case for AC12 yet, but that did not stop me going on a binge. The binge to end all binges. I have watched, and this is not an exaggeration, 28 hours of line of duty in the past five days <laughs> oh my god james but what what struck me what is so funny and terry's absolutely right about your sudden single-handed revival but is that it's is that bbc one started showing the series two for the first time three weeks ago and everyone was really excited about it and everyone was like oh yeah we're gonna watch series series two together on bbc one and then like two weeks later you suddenly decide to have your own rewatch as if completely separate from the one that everyone else is having it is true I, I i create my own reality as we have discussed uh but i've watched four and a half of the show's uh five seasons in the past five days and quite honestly i think it's put me a little bit i've got a bit round the bend um this is based slightly off us discussing it last week so we we discussed it last week as a counterpoint to to unforgotten and uh-huh. uh and because of that and let's be honest i had a slightly traumatic weekend so i thought i need something i need some escapism i need it now so i fired up the first episode of series one which is no longer on netflix only season five is so but they're all on i player so it's all good but I fired up the first step of season one and then 28 hours later here i am i've basically become ted hastings at this point and let me tell you i didn't float up the lagon on a bubble i have enjoyed every fucking second of this and first of all i would like to make three observations a it is even better than for somehow i had remembered b it's a lot bleaker and more harrowing mm. than i remembered c it's also a lot dafter than i remembered in the best possible way and also it is clearly one of the most addictive tv shows ever to grace the screen what a fucking show can't you remember i did the exact mm. same thing what was it a year yeah, ago I remember, yeah. yeah i do yeah, remember. you were there first i do remember yeah, you were there yeah. Yeah. Out, of, out of nowhere and it is just and and 
even more brilliant, as you say, I think there's a perception that, oh, we got so much better over time. and But actually, that first no. season with Lenny is just mm. spectacular. And the way they've reinvented it every season, such a simple premise that you have this core group and that, and the, you know, the, the, the guest star who that entire season pivots around and how that makes it feel like a completely different show every time. But it's yeah. the level of excellence in it is just... But he has struck an incredible tone that I just don't think I have found elsewhere, which is, on the one hand, it feels really sexy and exciting. Not not like how we were talking about how Unforgotten is really like low-key, compelling, believable. Like, this is super sexy, super jazzy, but it also feels like there's a level of of sort of verisimilitude to it, where whether it is or (laughs) not, it feels believable in he's really into the process and the acronyms, and you feel all that. But equally, he hits the hot drama really high there's some really really nasty stuff in there it goes to really dark places season two in particular keely hawes when she's in prison that is brutal mm. stuff but equally like there are moments of such giddy daftness that like the fact that the entire force seems to be in league with organized crime and yet it's just so brilliant and as you say like the reinvention every season it feels entirely different the first episode is always a brilliant switcheroo there's all they always wrong foot you deliberately in the first episode of each series it's it's just a magnificent show. I now only have three episodes left to watch, and I'm already feeling bereft. Like, what the fuck am I going to do when I finish this? Because this is my entire universe at the moment. I'm full WandaVision. There is no reality for me at the moment outside AC12. Well, luckily for you, we can say that you only have to wait a few weeks before yes. season six starts. I mean, that is that is true. That is but, true. But what am I going to do in the meantime, boys? So right. I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to ask you a question. Okay. What can I watch? Like, I want you to give me, like, I'm going to ask you for a TV recommendation. I want, I want a brief British police drama that will scratch my line of duty itch, which I have not already seen. Do you have anything for me? Well, you're already watching Unforgotten, because that's the obvious answer. Yes. Yeah, we were tr- that is, yeah. That is the yeah. obvious which, answer. Which, by the way, Jed Mercurio um, tweeted about. He loves he Unforgotten, and it's very interesting I that he that. absolutely loves yeah. and admires that show for its writing and for its, for its detail of that. Uh, it's a good question. I mean... Fucking hell, I'll have to have a think. I'll have to have a think. Yeah, there's nothing. nothing. <laughs> there's nothing. There will be something. I mean, it's not, I mean the, there's a reason Line of Duty. Line of Duty is the most popular returning drama on TV, right? And there's mm. a reason for that because it is its level of excellence. And the weird thing is, I'm doing a big rewatch as well for, for professional reasons um, in the in the, in the the build-up to the arrival of the new series at the same time as you. So it's quite weird that I've been doing it as well. I mean, I've, <laughs> I've, I've finished the whole fucking thing. So you're absolutely right. I agree with everything you say. But it is weird that we're both did the rewatch a year after Terry did her rewatch. I mean, it's arbitrary, sure. (laughs) But what struck me, you're right, but what struck me is, I think, like, for example, what really crystallised the quality of it for me is you get those incredible, the brutal, shocking, brutal moments. Like when when characters are suddenly in prison and they're, and they're, and they're fed shit in their food. You're like, right, this yeah. is dark. Yeah. And then at the end of series three, for example, urgent exit required, you know, that, that action oh. sequence is what is that action sequence is as good. <laughs> I maintain as most Hollywood action. Yeah. When, when fucking, when she's, when Kate's on the side of a lorry with a machine <laughs> yeah. gun chasing the caddy, you know, across town it is brilliantly done. There's a shot of her running um, and massive close up, and it's brilliant, absolutely brilliantly done. Yeah. You kind of can't barely work out how they did it. So yeah, like technically, um, the, the the set pieces are amazing, the action set pieces, and the, the and and the confidence. I think the fact that it assumes intelligence in the audience, so that we we don't mm. know what these fucking acronyms are, but we'll get to know what they yeah. are, and we'll work yeah. it out. 
We'll work out what the rules are. That is so brilliant that you know, yeah, that he immerses you in that world of the police jargon, and it and it, and it's fun because you're like, oh, I don't know what the. It's really interesting, yeah. Really and watching thing. it all in one go was actually really rewarding because you see all the threads coming together, and you're much more familiar. Because yeah. I remember the first time I'd be watching a bit. Oh, they've just revealed something. I know I should know this, but I don't quite know who you are. And now it's incredibly clear to me how everything joins up. Yeah, and it's genius. It's and he absolutely burns genius. Through, he burns through storyline, right? He's, he, he, you know. He Really does, yeah. The, the opening episode of season three, I think, yeah, the the the, the Danny Waldron one, with yeah. Danny Mays. There's enough storyline in that to last eight yeah, hours absolutely. of TV, really. Yeah, and people yeah. actually said that to him. He, he talks about he talks about how you know some some people from the network will go, "Are you sure? Are you sure you want to have this much storyline?" And he's like, "Yeah, it'll be fine. It'll be fine." Because he does it episode to episode. Yeah, and I think that yeah. make, that's what makes it so urgent and incredible. The pace of the storytelling, but it is the diametric opposite to Unforgotten, where like the whole yeah. plot of a series of Unforgotten would fit like in between scenes in a series kind of, of Line yeah, of Duty. Yeah, yeah. That's not to say that it's a lesser show in any way. It's a very different type I of think show. It's different, the diametric different opposite of the most pacing. streaming streaming storytelling. I have to say, yeah. like it would, well, we've got an example of it today. Your Honor, which we're reviewing later, is ten episodes, and we'll discuss mm. whether or not it can sustain that. <laughs> but you know, it's very different. Spoiler, no, it's very different. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Also, Line of Duty is 100%, and I, it's rare that I will ever agree with you on this point. It is 100% a show that should not be binged. Exactly. It is 100%. I mean, I, admittedly, this is coming from someone who's literally watched 28 yeah, hours the past five yeah. days. Yeah. But I'm just you saying. You literally just said, <laughs> yeah. I did it all in one go, and yeah. I'm really glad I did. And blah, blah, blah. And I'm then saying, you for the first time, when you watch it for the first time, it really lends itself to that gradual unspooling because every episode ends with an, oh my fucking Christ, I must tell everyone I know about this moment and I think you want that talkability but yes I have I have found it uniquely gratifying to watch it all in a binge as well magnificent magnificent show so yeah. you need to remind me something else Boyd I've got three episodes okay. left I'll find that's something. three and a half hours I'll I need I need something by the end I will of do it I am there I'll find something Line of Duty, what a show right uh other than Line of Duty what have you folks been watching this week so I have been watching a few things, James, almost all of which you will disapprove of. So let no, us no, start. No, Terry, please note, I haven't even asked you about The Leftovers because I'm just assuming that that whole thing has <laughs> gone out the window at this point. I know. It's, it's going to happen, but, but you know, when I randomly decide it will happen. Because um, instead this week I watched six episodes of Teen First Dates. Uh, <laughs> oh, Boy, yes. D, Boy D, did you watch it? I watched the, well, I watched one episode, yeah. It's really sweet. So isn't it? Yeah. First Dates is obviously the hit Channel 4 show. <sighs> How is this happening where to me? two people get set up, set up on a blind date in a, a restaurant devoted just to those first dates. And um, I love it. And I saw Teen First Dates advertised. And I was like, this is going to be shy. Because kids, you know, it has to be presumably a certain level of... Uh, What's the word? Kind of innocent because they are teenagers and, and all of the kind of edginess of the, the main show will be gone. It is just so brilliant because what you forget is kids are incredibly awkward, but also incredibly naive and optimistic. So you see these little things play out. There's one where they went to hug each other and she kind of hugged his leg by mistake instead. And How then there tall was, was he? I mean, he was that tall. <laughs> and then there was, an, there was another bit where, you know, they all say they'd like to see each other again, basically, because uh, they do that thing. And I've totally forgotten because what it does is it reminds you of what it's like to date or to fall in love as a kid. And you know that thing when you meet somebody for the first time and you go... Uh, I like wrestling, and they go, I like wrestling. And you go, 
oh my god we're meant to be we're gonna be together for the next 65 years so every time these kids get set up there's always a moment where one of them vaguely likes something the other one likes and therefore they immediately become they're like going oh my god this is so weird isn't this weird oh my god i can't believe you like it too it's so sweet and so endearing and it's such a contrast to the main show where people are like playing games and and, and deeply cynical it Honestly, it's been an absolute joy in my life this week. I have to say, I did all six over two nights. Um, loved it, loved it, loved it. The other thing I've been obsessively watching because it's coming to an end is Married at First Sight Australia, oh which God. I also know that some of our podcast <laughs> listeners are watching. Some of them are claiming that they've been dragged into it by their wives and now can't stop looking at it. <laughs> but regardless... You don't need to justify yourself, men. You can watch this. <laughs> All right. So, what- uh, I have a is, is former yeah. Virgin Matt still on it, or is he off now? Oh no, they were only on it for like three episodes. Okay. No, no. Well, so I don't he, care anymore. So they've then. gone. So last night was the final commitment ceremony. So basically, they're in this experiment. They decide every week whether they want to keep going, and then at the end, they basically come back together and they either choose to stay together outside of the experiment or they choose to part ways. It is this. This has weird sperm man in it, doesn't? It? <laughs> Someone oh, well. was telling me I, that on, there's a I'm guy sorry. in it who's had a testicle removed and he has some kind of weird sperm related issue. Am I, am I, I this is hearsay because I heard it from like someone who heard from someone, but this is, this is in this show, right? No. Or just not got, am I making this up? <laughs> Boyd, you this, must know. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. It's not a thing. No. And maybe maybe I've, is, there's, maybe a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of series in this show. Season, yeah. 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 Right, maybe okay. previous season, yeah. Right, okay. Okay, fine. Or, you know. This is just something that happens in James's yeah. world is men have no sperm <laughs> yeah. or something. Um, um, but last night was the final commitment ceremony. And then tonight it's the final episode and it's the reunion and shit is going to go down. And it's been amazing. And the last thing I want to mention is, so as everybody knows who listens to this podcast, I have a new telly chosen for me by James Dyer. And since misused consistently by you, but carry <laughs> <Yeah>. on. <laughs> um, and there's a thing on it called STV, which I think is a Scottish channel, yeah. right? So I, I'm like, oh, getting excited by all these things on it. <laughs> and there's something on it called Grace Point. Now, I'm like, oh, this looks good. It's got David Tennant in it, and it's about a murdered murdered kid. And I said to my boyfriend, oh, this looks good. I mean, it's kind of like Broadchurch, but, you know, I'm going to go with it. And then it's I'm probably about 18 minutes in before I realise it's a shot-by-shot, word-by-word remake of Broadchurch yeah. Set in a tiny American town. If it was shot in America, I'll eat my fucking hat. It was clearly shot in Bristol or something anyway. <laughs> but, and David, Ten- this is the bit that I can't get my head around. David Tennant is in it playing an American cop by the same name as the British cop he was in. But he's talking in, and I love you, David Tennant, but please don't do an American accent again, for the love of God. And he's opposite an American woman who's <laughs> Olivia Coleman's character, the same name, the same marriage, the same... And it took me 18 minutes because I was like, this is, hang on, that's ringing a, that bit's ringing a bell. What? Michael Peña's in it yeah. as a plumber? Nick Nolte's in it. <laughs> Nick Nolte turns up and I was like, this is... What? What? Right, help me understand. Why wouldn't you just show Broadchurch so, instead of yeah. spending money to make an America? I mean, 
but you haven't even reinvented it for an American thing with American characters. You've got a different story, and you've literally he's a pl- he's meant to be a plumber, like the dad in Broadchurch, and the mum is basically word for word, um, uh, Jodie. And what? Why? Why? And why is David Tennant speaking in an American accent? So I interviewed David Tennant, um, probably like. Like you last year or the year before, and about something completely different. And I had I said to him, I have to ask you about what was it called? Um, Grace Point. Grace Point. Grace Point. Because it's I said it's so weird, wasn't it? That that that, ha- that mm. happened. And he went, tell me about it. It's fucking insane. <laughs> and so his, his I was like, can you like what? Why? And he was like, no, no one knows. <laughs> we just did it. They wanted us to do it. We did it. I did it. It's insane. And then that's it. <laughs> Yeah, so he he's very much on the yeah I know it's it was madness. Yeah, it's, it's, it was it's absolutely madness. He's shot in Canada actually, rather than Bristol. But yeah, well, I know imagine, what you mean. <laughs> imagine being him, right? Imagine being David yeah. Tennant and going, you know that thing you did. We want you to do it again, word for word, yeah. move for move. And I mean, there are bits where I can see he's thinking, "What the fuck am I doing? <laughs> you yeah. are not Olivia Goldman." <laughs> That's why when he did that um, comedy thing, you know, over in lockdown with Michael Sheen, um, mm. uh, that there are lots of jokes about how they are going to be, they are going to, could they do the same thing in America? You know, with them playing themselves, blah blah yeah. blah. And a lot of it is are in jokes related to that and madness. Yeah. yeah, absolute madness. In fairness, it is Anna Gunn. Like it's not like a n other I, random. I but. Know, but, but I don't. Why wouldn't you just buy Broadchurch and show I mean, Broadchurch? Do they think they won't understand the accents? Or I mean, like, fucking who knows? Yeah, there's I mean, literally a cliff. The kids the same name. Perhaps like- they don't think it's a Broadchurch. Oh, Whoa. No. Whoa, no. Whoa. Excellent. <laughs> no, derailed that conversation. No. <laughs> no, nobody's. I mean, nobody's good in it. David Tennant's not even good in it. But I mean, fair play to you, Terry. Like, props to you for actually having watched a proper television show in addition to the other stuff this week. Though, so thank you. I do appreciate your minor contribution to this podcast. <laughs> Just because you, my friend, you. don't appreciate my choices you. doesn't mean they don't exist. I mean, really? Yep. Oh, God. Boy, please tell me you watched something with the script this week. I've been watching uh, Line of Duty like you, so that's the main thing. That's true. I do yeah. want to mention this morning, though, what arrived this morning was Prince Harry, yes, being interviewed on by James Corden on Gordon. the Late Late Show, you- doing this mm. incredible... Because there's been this big, huge... Thing about Harry and Meghan doing an, an exclusive interview with Oprah, right? Now that I think that ends this weekend. So we, I think it will have aired by the time the podcast comes out, and that's been going on for weeks. So when that announcement was made, there were dis- talk discussions about it on TV. You know, everyone's going crazy about about them doing the first big TV interview. This went completely under the radar. This was a massive surprise that suddenly dropped as we as we're doing the pod- recording the podcast Friday morning. That the Late Late Show James Corden did a twenty minute. Um, mm. Video in which James Corden takes Harry on a bus tour of LA to show him mm. around LA. Does an assault course with him in which Harry literally goes under in the mud in in this assault course and kind of drags James through it. And James interviews him very cleverly while all these things about the stuff you want to hear about. He asks him about what, why have you in quotes abandoned the royal family? He's like, well, you haven't abandoned the royal family. He explains his whole thinking about that. He talks about watching the Crown. He talks about <laughs> the Crown's good. He really likes the Crown. He likes the Crown. Basically, he's like, uh, it's like, yeah, it's fiction, but you. Know that it's got an essential truth to it, and I'm like, this is fucking incredible. 
This is yeah. it's yeah. literally saying there's a fundamental truth to the crowd. I'm I'm paraphrasing. You have to watch the actual moment on 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 the on the VT, which is there. It's on YouTube. It's on Sky. The the episode that goes out on um, Friday night here in the UK. It is honestly, and he's so likable. By the way, Prince Harry. I'm not a royalist, you know. That we get to the whole thing about the racist treatment of Meghan and all of that, but it's really interesting. And he talks about how the how the coverage, the media coverage of themselves, affected his mental health. So. It's an amazing thing. 20 minutes with Prince Harry and James Corden on TV. Sorry, it's not scripted, but it is a major TV event. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll allow it. <laughs> Thanks. Terry, uh, you know, we were talking about Grace Point. I brought up the IMDb page uh, while we were obviously talking about it. And I've just noticed if you scroll down the cast list for Grace Point, the character Susan Wright is played by an actor called Jackie Weaver, oh who I can God. only assume wow. <laughs> is from the Hansford yeah. Parish Council scene of Grace Point, which I haven't got to yet. You so. have no authority here, Jackie Weaver. <laughs> That's right. Read it and understand <laughs> it. Uh, wow. <laughs> Jackie Weaver, debuted in Grace Point. Who knew? Right. Well, shall we move on to this week's listener question? This week's question comes from Liam Richardson, and he says, All your favourite shows of all time recently, which we did do in, I think, the 100th episode and then a little bit in the 101st episode, all your favourite shows of all time were from the current golden age, e.g. post-1999 with West Wing, Sopranos, etc. Even Boyd, even Boyd. Boyd went curb over Seinfeld. So what are the greatest pre-Golden Age shows we should all watch? Oh, well, I have a long list. Um, oh, don't we all, Terry? Don't we all? I Why don't you go list. first? So these are pre-1999 incredible shows. And I will just say this is a very specific list because this will have been when I was a teenager. So a lot of these are teen dramas. But there's also some slightly more random ones and there's also a single winner because we all know that there is only one show um that is great in that period truly truly great so dawson's creek 1998 but still pre-1999 ellie mcbeal friends my so-called life beverly hills 90210 sex in the city quantum leap if i said that no charmed melrose place party of five prime suspect buffy 1997 twin peaks and the winner the one the only the incredible E.R. The end. E.R. was a very good shout. A very good shout. 94, wasn't it, E.R.? 94. Yeah. Wow, you covered off quite a lot there. Not in a lot of detail, but I'll... I'll That's good. Would you like me to explain Friends to you? Friends. (laughs) Yeah, tell me about Friends. Please explain Friends uh, and Buffy. Well, explain your number one to us. So E.R. you think is definitely the best of the lot. Yeah, and it's actually, you know, people often usually say the beginning of cinematic tv or tv of that standard was 1999 and the sopranos seems to be a lot of people's belief in terms of the beginning of that wave of television er was five years before that you know the way it did those kind of single shots um the pace of it the rhythm of it Mm. the way those characters were developed like you could absolutely i think include er in the same bracket as those later shows in terms of storytelling, in terms of actually the way it was shot, the craft of it, all of it, I think. Uh, I think it was so ahead of its time, actually. Yeah, um, I agree. When you, that pilot episode is extraordinary. Extraordinary. Yeah. Extraordinary. <laughs> yeah, no, I do I do agree. It's, uh, it's a hell of a show. I will say, though, I don't think I ever watched the last two seasons of ER because it just got very dull. And I don't know whether that's because the quality went downhill, although I think that is part of it, uh, and the characters I liked largely left. But I think also because it started to overlap with TV getting significantly better, I guess it wasn't the only show in town at that point. There was a lot more going on by the yeah. time ER ended. 
But no, and it, it arguably outstayed its welcome. It did. I mean, it's like, what is it, 15 seasons? Something like yeah. that. It's a lot. And But, you know, there are, there are still kind of single episodes and, and specific seasons towards the end that were really strong and still great. Like Greg Pratt was always, I felt like, a character in the kind of ilk of those characters at the beginning and his, his whole arc and his death mm-hmm. was amazing. But, yeah, I think towards the end it kind of... And as you say, it wasn't. It suddenly had tons of competition and didn't stand above the crowd in the way it had before. But also, I think shows have a often have a lifespan, and it's okay for shows to kind of go. We've done our amazing thing. We're going to bow out now, and somebody else will come along. I think the sense that a show continues on until literally, mm. you know, the very last fan goes, "Okay, you can stop now." <laughs> <laughs> Please that's stop al- now. Almost always me, Boydie. Well, I think you see. I think. I mean, ER is, is it was brilliant, absolutely brilliant, and did have some amazing, particularly cinematic episodes. Um, it did walking and talking, didn't it? I think before yes, the West Wing. You know, there's a lot of yeah. long. It's also John Wells as well. Yeah, yeah. But I think really it all started with Twin Peaks. You see, which was which was 1990, mm. and it's um, almost incredible to think that Twin Peaks was an ABC network show <laughs> going out at nine o'clock, you know, on a, on a weeknight on, on that network. And they got David fucking Lynch to create this absolutely insane, perverse storyline, um, which, you know, was, was a kind of um, crime drama mystery, but also, you know, a, a kind of investigation into the extremely bizarre world of David Lynch. Um, so I just think it all goes back to Twin Peaks for me. I think, I think they're, they're a brilliant, brilliant series. So I could talk about... British TV, like I think GBH, Alan Bleasdale's GBH, which was all about kind of inspired by Derek Hatton and the Labour Party and, po- and real life politics, but was a was an incredibly ambitious look at power and masculinity. Michael Palin was in it. Um, it was incredible. I talk about the singing detectives. I think the singing detective, Dennis Potter's the singing detective with Michael Gambon in it. It was the greatest limited series of all time. I would stick by that. I think it's an absolutely incredible piece of work. And it's and is in its own way. Um, you know, it was in the 80s, but it's his own way was cinematic. And the director of that, John Emile, went on to make things like Summersby and Copycat, really good, some really mm. good films. That's a brilliant, brilliant series that famously I watched in New York all in one go in a <laughs> six-hour marathon one New Year's Eve with my mate Neil. But I think Twin Peaks was the start of just the whole idea that you could get a top, top film director, the most visual of film directors, the most out there of film directors to work in television, to work in network television. Yeah. And to work within those limitations and to make, you know, 20 part series or whatever, and it to be completely insane and wild. But season two went completely off the rails, I mean, but still. Not in a good way. Not in a good way, but still incredible. And The Return, I fucking love The Return. We won't get into mm. it now. I know you don't. But anyway, so I think, but I think, what, you know, if you're writing a book about pre golden age of TV ambition and brilliance and out thereness, then it's, then it's all about Twin Peaks. And it was an incredible water cooler show as yeah. well. Just yeah. like, what's going on? What's going on? I, I discovered Twin Peaks quite late. I didn't watch it when it first aired. And I think I've told this story before, but an ex-girlfriend of mine, just to spite me, came up to me knowing that I was watching Twin Peaks for the first time and told me who killed Laura Palmer. Oh my and God. I was fucking furious. That is brilliant. That is so brilliant. <laughs> what did you do to her? Yeah, to nothing. Her yeah. Absolutely nothing. She thought it was funny. That's, That's so some fucking brilliant. A-grade trolling right there. Yeah. But Terry, Terry mentioned Prime Suspect. I think the only one Terry didn't mention in her list, because like, 
Prime Suspect had a massive effect on me. I, I can still remember watching the first episodes of Prime Suspect with Helen Mirren, and it is such a forget about you know. Uh, Were you di- watching the first episodes of Prime Suspect with Helen Mirren? No, no, just no, 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 no. I just remember how gripping the storyline was because it was quite rare back then to have a um, a crime drama play out over quite a few episodes, and it just to be one story. It's just one mm, crime, yeah. one mystery, one who don't that she was solving. So on top of the the kind of feminism of that show, because she was the first big female detective character holding a show, and it took discuss that within within the show. Oh yeah, the it's- actual storyline was unbelievably gripping. And yeah. Prime One, I remember Prime Suspect Two was brilliant as well. So that, but the only one I would mention that Tony totally mentioned is Cracker. Cracker yes, was that was ab- going to be my showcase uh, one. Sorry, okay. Well, you, you talk about Cracker because ab- absolutely incredible. Um, yeah, see, so. I, I always that's it tends to be uttered in the same breath as Prime Suspect, and yeah. I think for good reason because there's tonal similarities there. But for me, Cracker was the better show. For me, Cracker is the show really for me pre uh, pre the Golden Age. I, nothing. I'd never seen anything like Cracker before, ever. You know, we talk about Line of Duty, we talk about interrogation scenes, but I don't think anything has come close to those Robbie Coltrane scenes where he would sit down with Christopher Eccleston or Susan Lynch or whoever it was he was talking to, and he would grind them into an intellectual pulp with (laughs) his sarcasm, his his chain-smoking, hard-drinking, philandering fits. He was the most amazing character, and I absolutely loved it. Those first three series are incredibly, strong incredibly strong and the specials don't work quite as well i think white ghost maybe which wasn't brilliant 911 i think was decent but those first three seasons like the first one which has fucking ted hastings in it a young ted hastings adrian dunbar is in the first ever episode of cracker but they tended to have three different cases in each season like you start with the mad woman in the attic to say i love you and one day a lemming would fly and then i think the high points for me were uh to be a somebody which is the robert carlisle one which is amazing and then men should weep that really harrowing serial rapist run at the end of season two that was so so good and really really hard to watch it really holds up to this day i, I yeah i think cracker is is an incredible show just across you know lork and cranich look who can forget oh, lork yeah. and cranich yeah yeah i think what makes it so good it's not about the whodunit it's not so much about the mystery it's the satisfaction you get from watching him not even solve the case but grind them down to sort of wear them down to outmaneuver them to almost bludgeon them into a corner where they can only confess and i just think that just the use of dialogue there the use of the interplay the use of the exchanges the body language the momentum the sort of power dynamics that play out in the interview room um yeah I will I will never get bored of watching Cracker. Should go without saying that that's been on my rewatch list for a while now. At some point, you'll almost certainly have suffered through me rewatching that and then turning this whole show into a Cracker show. Well, we look forward to that, obviously. Yes. Um, <laughs> but I would a couple of others I would obviously mention. So uh, Blackadder and Faulty Towers, big formative shows for me. Oh, yeah. uh, I think those are, in terms of sitcoms, those are my go-to touchstones the x-files seminal show i know it is much maligned these days but i think people do forget how important it was at the time in terms of moving tv on and becoming a cultural event which the x-files very much was it's also a really good show it has bad episodes mainly the arc-based stuff but some of the standalone ones are exceptional what else we do obviously Bonjour La Classe, starring yours truly, a classic of British sitcom. Uh, yeah, you should definitely watch that. Babylon 5. Now, Babylon 5 hasn't aged brilliantly, although it is out in HD now, recently re-released and remastered in HD. Babylon 5 was a big deal because J. Michael Straczynski had a very clear five-season-based story arc for that. Didn't go according to plan, but he had a very distinct through line, and that was unusual for a, for a show of that type at the time. Um, so it, I think it... 
a lot of modern shows owe a great debt to Babylon 5. And while the effects were all put together on an Amiga A500 uh, and have not aged brilliantly, it's still it's still a decent show. Um, Northern Exposure is another one I'd probably mention. Uh, and Homicide Life on the Streets, David Simon's pre-wire show, which is really, really good as well. Uh, and also no one's mentioned, people always talk about HBO and they always talk about Sopranos. But HBO, you know, it didn't begin with The Sopranos. It began with Oz in 1997. Oz was a hell of a show and another really difficult watch, I think, sometimes these days because it's a very unflinching, quite brutal prison drama. Mm. But genius and, and very stylistic and slightly surreal in places as well with Harold Perrineau Jr. kind of narrating episodes from like an anti-gravity weird spinning bubble in his wheelchair. Strange show. But very, very good indeed. Hill Street Blues, we should have mentioned. I mean, there's there's yes, a lot there to be are, honest. Yeah, and the one comedy to, yeah. I forgot. I, to be honest, I completely forgot about comedies, which is which is weird. But when you mentioned yours, but um, this week BBC Four showed the Fall and Rise of Reginald Perrin, the first episode, and that is one of the greatest, most original, and most daring comedies, certainly British sitcoms ever. It's incredible to watch that. How it really goes out there. It's really daring as a kind of interrogation of suburban. Um, life um, and, and how it gets quite bleak and quite it, that is an astonishing show and that was a big mainstream hugely popular BBC One sitcom yes many good shows so not all the good shows I would say are post 1999 no. but uh, yes yeah, I don't think anyone would argue that uh, they were slim pickings before then there was an awful lot of procedural shit no offence Terry uh, that predated good procedural TV procedural shit <laughs> hang on did, what, didn't you just say a procedural I'm pretty I sure don't know you what just you did mean, Terry. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you just did well Liam, I hope that has answered your question. If you have a question for the Pilot TV podcast, then do send it to us on Twitter at Pilot TV Pod or to me directly at James C. Dunn. Time now for this week's news. Who would like to begin with news? I suggest Terry leads news this week because we all remember what happened last week when Terry got bored and didn't enjoy the news that we were talking about. So Terry, <laughs> what news would you like to bring the group this week that we will all partake in? I want to talk about a first look... At I know what you're going to say, Kenneth Branagh. Yeah, you did, yeah. Kenneth Branagh. Oh, no, the yes. First look at Kenneth Branagh <laughs> as Boris Johnson. Christ. My God. Is this what the world needs right now? <laughs> that picture, he actually looks like Stanley Johnson, is the weird yes, thing. When you yes. look at the picture, it's, he looks like Boris's dad. Yeah. This is for Deceptodial, which is the Sky Atlantic drama that was revealed recently. Original drama, which is about Boris, the government and the COVID crisis. And they, they released this picture and people were like... Oh my God, look how haunted he looks. I mean, he looks a bit confused and like he might need the toilet, which is kind of which is kind of how Boris looks a lot of the time. So this is focusing on uh, the first wave, is what I've read, the first wave specifically of the um, pandemic. Uh, five episodes and is, they say, based on testimony and first-person accounts from people within actual Downing Street and the Department of Health and SAGE, as well as in hospitals and care homes. So it's quite weird because you can't, when you look at that picture, there's something almost weirdly funny about mm. it, but it's obviously not going to be funny at all. It's it's a, the starkest, most brutal period in this country and the world's most recent history. There's been so much discussion over the last year about what that the government and Boris Johnson got wrong, um, the decisions they took, the manner in which they took them, the speed at which they took them. You know, we're currently at, I think, just over 130,000 deaths in this country. 
people dying with COVID. So it's weird because that putting out that picture by itself and you saw it doing the rounds on social and everybody making jokes, and everybody laughing, really odd. Um, and you've got to hope that kind of we've got all of that out of our system uh, right now. And um, by the time this, um, which is Michael Winterbottom, um, comes out, we've all managed to get over the fact that pretty much anybody who dresses up like Boris is going to look ridiculous. You know, every time he comes out at a Downing Street press conference with his hair all over the shop, his tie not done up properly, and I know everybody says it's part of his affectation, which is to look bumbling and stupid, but it infuriates. This has got nothing to do with this picture, but I just want to get it off my chest. <laughs> which fucking infuriates me. The man doesn't fucking brush his hair. You are the prime minister of our country. You're coming out usually to tell us some dreadful news about, about the current situation in our country, and you come out literally looking like you've been cobbed in a hedge. And let me tell you, if you were in the Labour Party or you were a working class person and you presented yourself like that, you'd be torn to shreds. But because you went to Eton, apparently it's all right for you to walk around looking like you haven't bothered to put a comb through your hair to talk to the country. Anyway, this is going to premiere in uh, autumn 2022. Yeah, it's a ways off. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. That, by how far away. Don't you find that weird? Don't yeah, you find that weird? I do, Why, yeah. Why rush out the announcement and the right. picture? Yeah. Like pictures normally get released, as we know, a couple of months out yeah. at most. Yeah. And yeah. yet we're now being told this is like it's eighteen months away. Eighteen yeah. months it's away. Weird. That was what that was what I thought was the most weird thing about it, that it's so far away. And I don't know I don't get why, because they're they're literally filming it now. I think What's interesting is also by the time this comes out in autumn of next year, eighteen months away, what kind of they could be launching the inquiry. There'll be an inquiry yeah. at some point into this whole fucking mess. Yeah, and you know it could be right then. And then in which case, what they bring out will seem even more kind of dated. I also was thinking, what looking at the picture, thinking uh, people like Dominic Cummings are going to have to be a major character in this thing because he was driving, he was in charge really yeah. of the whole. And of course, what do they get Benedict Cumberbatch back? to play him again, you know. I mean, you'd try, wouldn't you? I think if you're making this thing, you've already got Branner, you might as well try for Cumberbatch to do, but I can't imagine he'd want to agree considering some people consider him to be responsible for turning Dominic Cummings into a thing. Yeah. Um, who's going to play Chris Whitty? You know, um, absolutely fascinating. But it is bizarre because people, people reacted, you know, arguably fairly and said, we're still in the depths of this crisis. It feels really odd to be kind of rushing out this drama um, without you know, without a a period of reflection, b establishing actual facts, or c um, just the kind of I suppose dignity of of allowing a bit of a passage of time. But I can see an argument for making something contemporary, contemporary and of the moment, and you know, capturing people while they're still really concerned with this thing. But then, yeah, to announce it, r rush out a picture and then go, and you can see it in 18 months' time. It seems like, what was the point in getting all that flack then? No. And what are you waiting no. What are you waiting for? Because if you're shooting it, it will be available before then. You could put. You could arguably put it out sooner. I don't understand. I don't no, it's understand. weird. It's weird. I, yeah. I, I can only assume it's 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 they're assuming that there isn't an appetite for it at this point, and hopefully by then people will be more amenable to it. I don't know whether that's true or not. Yeah, maybe, maybe it is odd because usually Michael Winterbottom's thing, you know, is to kind of yeah. do these things very quickly, and it tends to he you know he makes films very quickly and brings them out quite as far as I'm aware, always as soon as he can. Mm -hmm. um, it is. It is odd. There must be. I'd be fascinated to know See, the reason behind it. I think you know they'd be better off putting out as soon as humanly possible, yeah, yeah. while people are still talking about these things. Mm. I kind of feel a little bit like maybe by the end. Hopefully, hopefully by the end of twenty twenty two, we won't want to talk about the coronavirus at that point. Yeah. 
But yes, it's quite the picture. What else is happening in the world, Terry? Queen of news. What else is happening is we've had a look at Emilio Estevez as Gordon Bombay, which is very exciting because there was a Mighty Ducks Game Changers trailer. Um, I think this is going to be very much in the ilk of Cobra Kai and you can totally see why they've uh, brought it back after such an amazing response to Cobra Kai. And he said, you know, there are two there are two uh, characters he would happily resurrect, which is one was Gordon Bombay, uh, one was Billy the Kid. And, you know, he spent, Emilio Estevez has spent pretty much the last two decades in the indie film wilderness in terms of he's very much leaned into the filmmaking side of his career, especially films that he feels very passionately about. He's famously, you know, from a family of activists. And his last film, The Public, was about homelessness. And so this is kind of a surprise and also not a surprise because, as I said, he's kind of always uh, talked about his love for this character. So the the trailer kind of didn't show much, but shock, 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 shock. He doesn't like ice hockey anymore. Um, I think he's living <laughs> in a basement. It's kind of, I mean, you can, you can see the parallels with, with Cobra Kai. Stephen Brill's back, who created the entire thing, and he's going to be a head writer on this. And I think, you know, Estevez has always said he would only come back if Stephen Brill came back as well. So I'm excited about this, I have to say. Um, I am very excited. I think it's going to be great. Are you excited, James? Not even remotely. But Did then... you not like the <laughs> Okay, so confession time. I've never seen The Mighty Ducks any Mighty Duck at any point. So I didn't even know that there was a lot of affection for the Mighty Ducks. I've never seen I either. I watched it. What? Yeah. So how was yeah. this not a seminal part of your... I mean, no. maybe, Boyd, you're a bit older than us, so mm. I can I get it. But James, your peak, that age, when... Didn't... No, each... just... It was too much fun. Like... It was too much fun for James to consider. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I, I watched Mighty Ducks again recently... Uh, I'll tell you what. No, I'll tell you what struck me. No, I'll tell you what struck me. <laughs> That's a yes. What struck me about it was its sincerity in that very kind of eighties uh, film way. Its sincerity. I did have a cry, which may be because of you know COVID and uh, being in lockdown. Um, and you know they there's diminishing returns across the three because the third one especially. Um, Estevez basically only agreed to be part of it if Disney would finance and distribute his his small film, which they did, even though it only opened in the end in four cinemas. Um, but that was kind of the trade-off. He didn't take a salary. He agreed for them to help him with his film instead. And so he's kind of not in it that much. It's more, I think he did a week of filming in total. But the first one, I kind of stand by the first one as a slice of of 80s heartfelt sincerity. You know, it's got an underdog, the team of kids are weird, like it's it's got all those kind of 80s ingredients. So I can't believe you haven't seen it, although I suppose it does have joy in it and sincerity, <laughs> which is problematic. Um, Sorry. So I can't, so you're not excited for this Disney Plus show then? Zero ducks given. Oh, my God. Oh, that's quite good. And there is also, obviously, rumours that uh, there is going to be a third Young Guns. Guns that three. I'd be more here for. Yeah, absolutely. I'm here yes. for Young Guns. I'd watch him as Billy the Kid. Absolutely. Yes. yes. But that, I think, is going to be a film, not a TV show. Yeah. yeah. 
Okay, fair enough. Um, there was more on top of the um, Kenneth Branagh as, as um, Boris Johnson thing. There were more announcements of of people playing historically significant um, politicians because and characters because Ot Fagbenli, who I love of uh, the Handmaid's Tale fame, and he did Max. He created Max, which is an outrageous series in Channel Four that uh, ran earlier this year, and he is going to play Barack Obama in the series The First Lady, opposite Viola Davis as Michelle Obama. Mm. And I consider that to be a brilliant casting. Um, very excited. And they also confirmed Gillian Anderson, fresh from playing Thatcher in The Crown, is going to play Eleanor Roosevelt. And Michelle Pfeiffer is Betty Ford. The casting in this series is fucking off the scale. It is incredible. This is a big Showtime anthology series. And the show is described as a reframing of American leadership told through the lens of the women at the heart of the White House, which is, I think, a really good premise as well. So I cannot wait for this fucking show. I'm hesitant to share with you any interesting news because Terry will poo-poo it. Um, but uh, there are a few things happening. Uh, you will have noticed, perhaps on Twitter, the reveal of Homelander's golden or gilded codpiece, which uh, which announced the beginning of production uh, of The Boys Season 3, which is now officially going on. I mean, I think all shows should announce their productions with something similar to that from now on. Um, what else is happening on? There's a G.I. Joe series coming. I Even though I don't care about that. Did anyone watch the teaser for MODOK? See Modoc, the Patton Oswalt Marvel. No. It looks, I mean, it's like a weird stop motion looking thing. Modoc's a big old floating giant head thing. So it's it's a Marvel show. It's an animation of sorts, and it's quote unquote funny. I was not amused, but then mm. I guess it's not really aimed at me. Anyway, so that's the thing that's happening as well. Loki has a date. Loki. Loki has a date, yes, yes. June the eleventh. That's exciting. But it, oh, the Bad Batch also has a date. That's debuting on Star Wars Day on May the fourth. But in this one's Ofay with the Clone Wars, probably don't care about that. Yeah, <laughs> we didn't discuss one this week's One Division, did we? Have you watched? We it did yet? not discuss this week's One Division, the penultimate episode yeah. of One Division, which I have, of course, seen. Forty-five yes. minutes. Yeah. Can you I just? Yeah. Uh, okay, I won't spoil it. Can I just? Okay. Can you address on your spoiler special weekly show? Yes. The explanation, right, of, of everything in this episode. This episode's... Yes. Yeah. I'm fascinated. It some ground. I'm going to use... Yeah. Some of it's quite clunky, I think. I mean, well, I, I have many okay. thoughts about right. this episode, which, of course, I can't really share on this podcast. Yeah. But if you do want to know, then the Empire Spoiler Special podcast can be found at empireonline.com slash spoiler specials for the bargain price of £2.99 a month. And also, there's other stuff that's not just one division on there. We do do other spoiler specials mm. as well. The other thing, the other big news for me in the week, I think for a lot of people, and this was like led this 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 led to lots of discussions on, you know, GMTV or whatever it's called <laughs> and things like that, is the Frasier revival was, is definitely happening. Yes, it is. Definitely Paramount happening. Plus. Paramount Plus. Um, Kelsey Grammer issued a statement about it saying he's looking forward to it and, you know, talking about how... But no Daphne and Niles, right? Well, no. So, that well, they haven't confirmed... All they've said is that it's happening, the revival. But the implication is that Fraser's going to enter a new world. It's going to be re relocated somewhere new. And Jane Leaves, who plays Daphne, is in an ongoing American show at the moment, and she said she won't leave that show mm. to rejoin Frasier, whether she's been asked to or She'll not. She'll appear in it. You know she will. I think my oh. guess is, I I, I, I mean, I, to be honest, I hope she doesn't. Because as I've always bang on about, the Niles-Daphne coming together was a disaster for the show. <laughs> so, you know, if they, they, they'd, they'd have to address the whole thing if she's going to be in it. I, th I think it's very, be very easy for Niles to come back in it to make guest appearances, wouldn't it? That'd be great. But as far as I can make out, they're going to establish him in a new setting with 
a whole new cast, I think is it, which is which is the I guess is the way best way to do it, and that will allow for guest appearances from others. He's going to have a podcast, isn't he? Oh, probably. Yeah, I mean, yeah. well, he's a white man, so of course he is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true, true. But I mean, it's going to be fascinating what they do. It's hard. It's going to be so hard because when he relocated from Cheers to Frasier, you know, he they they gave him his dad. Who was an iconic character? They gave mm. him a brother who was even weirder and camper and more kind of obtuse than Frasier was, and they gave him the Jane Leaves. They they had these you know indelible characters who they really you know who were like obviously literally it couldn't be closer to him. You know, to match that, to even come close to matching those supporting characters is going to be really hard, I think. So good luck to them. I think it's always a risk. Like I was reading about the Sex and the City reboot and Chris Noth is apparently not coming back. And obviously neither is Kim Cattrall. And and it totally spun me out because I was thinking, okay, I just kind of got my head around her not having one of her best friends. Mm. And then, you know, not having a husband and breaking off those relationships you know so well and are, are, to my mind, so part of your love for the show. Like, it's a big risk to try and rebuild that character with an entirely new landscape of relationships, isn't it? Exactly, yeah. Massive, massive risk, yeah. Paramount Plus have got some busy times ahead. Yes, you're right, they talked about that. They talked about a rather, you know, bold sort of 45-day window for big movie releases between cinema and appearing on Paramount Plus, um, which I think has got a lot of people's heads turning. The Halo TV series, which was once on Showtime, that's now been confirmed as having moved to Paramount Plus as well. They've got a bunch of other things. There's an Italian job series, which I think we've mentioned before, which revolves around the grandchildren of Charlie Croker. That's... (laughs) That's Jesus a mood. Uh, indeed. Uh, there's a Fatal Attraction series, which is oh, described no, as being told through that. the lens of modern attitudes towards strong women, and I'm quoting here, personality disorders, victim shaming, and coercive control. Oh, well, yeah, I mean, I, you know what? I was thinking about that this week. I was thinking about the hand. This is a total, like, random. I'm just wandering off now. But the hand <laughs> that rocks the cradle and fatal attraction. I was thinking about, like, how they present women with personality disorders. And I was mm. actually thinking, you couldn't probably make it today because people would go, mm. she's got a personality disorder, leave her alone. But, you know, like, they were mental. Yeah, yeah. Just, just as but, an but, aside, but, yes, just, just random because I did. I was thinking about this just this week. Well, that's that's going to be a thing. There's a flash dance series coming. There's a parallax view one coming. Uh, I mean, and obviously they've also got the offer as well, which is based on the making of The Godfather. And there's Greece Rise of the Pink Ladies as well. Is another thing they're doing. That's the series we all needed to see. I don't know. So Paramount obviously. It's, I mean, it's beginning of March, drops in the US. This is just CBS All Access rebranded, but it does seem like they're giving it a big old push. Whether we'll ever get this here in the UK, I do not know. I kind of hope not, because the minefield of American streaming services gives me anxiety, and I just don't need that over here. But we'll keep an eye on it. Bear in mind, also, Paramount Plus will have the future of Star Trek in their hands as well. So, you oh, know, God. the shows that we're already watching, whether it be Picard or Discovery, Lower Decks, and uh, what was that noise? <laughs> that's my review of Lower Decks in the, in the microcosm. Um, Strange New Worlds, which is the Anson Mount led one, uh, that's one that I'm excited about as well. And then there's uh, Star Trek Prodigy, which is another animation, but not an adult animation. That's the kind of formerly Nickelodeon, now Paramount Plus, uh, young person's Star Trek cartoon, which I am not here for, obviously, because it's not aimed at me. <laughs> Something else is not named to me. And speaking of Nickelodeon, they're doing a new Transformers animated series. Oh, do me uh, a favour. Which will take us back to our youths. Youths. Various youths. <sighs> uh, also, Jordan Peele's Twilight Zone was cancelled after two seasons. Yeah. 
Yeah, that didn't really catch on, did it? At no. all. No, it did not. Yeah. Um, should we talk about Barry Jenkins and the Underground Railroad? Sure. So there was a teaser this week. So I'm really excited for this. This is Barry Jenkins' first proper um, foray into television. I think he's done some smaller producing bits in the past, but uh, obviously since then he's won an Oscar, put out a couple of extraordinary, extraordinary <laughs> films. Um, so this is an adaptation of Colson Whitehead's novel. I think it's coming to Amazon Prime Video in May. So, um, yeah, The Underground Railroad is about um, Cora Randall's bid for freedom in the South, played by Tussauds Beidou. Uh, Joel Edgerton's in it as a bounty hunter. Incredible kind of array of stars. But, you know, Barry Jenkins coming to telly, I think, is all something we can be super excited about. That trailer was out this week. And we actually have a uh, story on this in the next issue of Empire if you wanted to read a little bit more. Is he directing the whole thing, do you know? I think. Yes. Oh, wow. That's incredible. Yeah. 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 Any other news or are we done? I think that's the main news. I think that is news covered. So let's move on to this week's reviews and beginning the triumvirate of shows that we're kicking off this week. We have... Your Honor, which sees criminal justice creator Peter Moffat have Brian Cranston Breaking Bad for the second time in this show, which aired on Showtime a few months back. Uh, he plays uh, Cranston plays New Orleans judge Michael Desiato, whose son is involved in a particularly harrowing, actually, hit-and-run accident. But he's deterred from having his son come clean when he learns the father of the victim is also the local mob boss. Uh, I'm very keen, understandably, to keep his own child safe. Desiato sets about concealing evidence, concocting alibis, and doing everything he can to throw off the dogs. Boydie, does Cranston do justice to this one? Yeah, it's it's interesting. So you quite rightly mentioned Peter Moffat, um, the, who's a British writer who who, mm. who uh, has written it and has developed it. Um, and he, of course, as you, you mentioned Criminal Justice, which is the British yes. series on which he then based The Night Of. The Night Of, One yeah. of the greatest limited series of all time, I would say. Mm-hmm. And I think this is part of a, a new wave of, of limited series. I think it's quite interesting because we've had... You know, we had Behind Our Eyes recently. We had the chess one. What was that called? <laughs> the um, the, uh, the Queen's Gambit. <laughs> Queen's Gambit. <laughs> yeah. The Undoing, of course. And there's loads coming up. There's um, the Flight Attendant, which has already been a big hit in America. That'll be coming up in, in I think we might even be reviewing it next week. Um, and I think there's a kind of thirst for, I think, the, the streaming series that go on and on and on, you know, with, with 10 episodes and then they and then they recommission them and it's all slightly awkward that they're recommissioning them because they might have been a limited one in the first place. I think there's a real thirst for um, stories that get resolved, you know, within, within one yeah. season. And this is definitely one of those. There are 10 episodes, as, as was The Night Of, and it's got, unlike, say, The Undoing, which we, which was incredibly camp and over the top and ludicrous, this is quite bleak, quite serious, quite heavy going, even though the premise is very, very, um, and it's instantly intriguing and fascinating. I mean, you know, to have, as you said, to have um, a, a, a respected liberal good guy judge whose son kills someone or be accidentally leaves the crime and then as you'll see playing out in episode episode kind of two particularly how that affects innocent people um who are then embroiled in this kind of cover-up if you like of this crime is quite it's quite heavy stuff it's quite grueling some of this i've found anyway but Mm. in a way you know i think it's difficult you can't complain about the insanity of something like the undoing 
which I did. We did. I think we, you know, I really enjoyed the undoing, but it was definitely completely demented. Whereas this is trying to make everything that happens in it real, authentic. Um, you know, there's not a lot. Of, there's you know, there's there's no funny stuff going on here. So I kind of appreciated that about it. I like that about it, and I think you know, there's for example the actual hit and run accident in episode one is brilliantly directed. I thought it was brilliantly it really done. Is, yeah. It's horrific. Yeah. Um, it's really distressing. It's quite traumatic. And if you've had a broke, I, I broke my arm recently. It's it's pretty much covered now. Like the the whole broken limbs thing of the poor guy. Oh. It's really distressing. So it's not for the squeamish, this show. No. And then it gets emotionally quite grueling as it goes on. I've watched three episodes. Um, I, I, I think it's really good. I think it's really well done. I think Brian Cranston, you know, you, you, you refer to the fact that this is him. He is breaking bad in this. He is, yeah. you know, it is, it's, it's, a, it's a decent man brought down by a moral, moral dilemmas and doing the wrong thing. So he's he can do that in his sleep. He's brilliant. I think the the Hunter Doohan who plays his son is really really good. It has a difficult role. It's got Hope Davis and uh, Michael Stuhlbarg as the as the couple who are the running this mob family in New Orleans. And of course, Michael Stuhlbarg, we, we were most famous for Call Me by Your Name, where he was the lovely dad to <laughs> Timothy Chalamet, and you know, comforting. He's a fucking he's a fucking mob boss. And he, you see, as the more you see of him, the more scary he is and she's quite scary as well hope david so it's got a really good cast but it does feel like they've ordered 10 episodes of this they're going to fucking play out 10 episodes by hook or by crook but even taking that to go that's the only issue i have with it. i think it's really well made i think it's gripping i think it's a really interesting idea i don't know how it's going to end i kind of have a guess but i think it's going to be there's still going to be twists and turns along the way so i'm into it i know what you mean it's, it's 10 hours long it didn't need to be it's just that's nuts i <sighs> I watched, I think, five of these. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, well, I reviewed it for the magazine, oh, okay. so I had to. Right. <laughs> I watched it a while back. But I, my my thing with this was just it. Just, there isn't enough substance. Certainly from the, the half that I've seen, I've not seen the second half. Maybe it all kicks off. Who knows? But certainly for the half I've seen, there's just not enough plot to stretch out. Like this, it's not as egregious as those early Netflix Marvel shows, but it's very laboured. Like it moves at a painfully slow pace. It's very deliberate, but it's not smart enough to earn it. Like I don't think the twists and turns are particularly surprising or clever. Like it feels. Like they're ticking off the boxes of the you know of the mystery as it unfolds and you're going with it because ultimately brian cranston is incredibly watchable and you can't you can never take that away from him. he's amazing in this role because he's amazing in everything but this character and this character isn't walter white and so it seems bad to say that this is in the shadow of walter white but it is because <laughs> you know even though it's a very different show, you can't help but think how brilliant he was and how brilliant Vince Gilligan was with Breaking Bad. And then this does not compare particularly well. And look, fair play to them for rolling out Margot Martindale, who is always an absolute delight, and she is brilliant in this. And I think they, they get away with a lot because the casting is great. Hmm. But more than anything else, though, I was just like, I just, after five episodes, I'm bored and I kind of feel like it should already have wrapped up. And the thought that there's that much again to go, I'm, it's exhausting. The thought of it exhausts me. <laughs> so I don't, I mean, I'm not going to watch the rest. I've got to be honest with you. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm just not. <laughs> I had watched the first two and it's really, I mean, gritty isn't really the word. <laughs> Bleak is the word, as Boyd mm. said. It's the first really one in fucking hard going. The accident is done in such detail mm. and you're there in real time and every second feels like an hour. They're very committed to making it as real as possible and that makes it almost unwatchable. I was like mm. desperately, I almost <laughs> fast forwarded through it because I found it too much, the tension, what you were being forced to watch because also 
um there's a lot of kind of there was some handheld stuff there was some very intense shots and zooms which really you know they really wanted to put you in those shoes and oh my god were you so i found that really difficult to watch i have to say um as this kid's like bleeding to death and choking on his own blood it's really kind of graphic it it does kind of it i suppose make it clear what's at stake how awful the situation is what it's like to watch somebody bleed to death essentially and but the way it's shot the color palette as well it's kind of almost sepia in places so it's quite oppressive i I felt like it started to have some interesting thing to say about um race and about policing particularly about um the abuse of power about privilege and you know it's i suppose it's quite an interesting setup that as you say brian cranston is is this kind of liberal judge who's who's trying to do the right thing and tr- and is very i suppose aware of his privilege and how um of how kind of that that privilege and that power can be abused by others but it kind of gets copped out the window at one point because the, it it boils right down to this individual story, and I suppose there's an interesting point in you know it's it's that it's easy for for liberal uh, white people to often recognise their own privilege as long as it doesn't threaten their own life and their own family and all of that. So, but I I kind of force myself through the second, and I don't think i'll be going any further and not because you know michael stillbar is i think one of the greatest actors working today i think he's incredible i think there's everybody in this is amazing but i just found it too oppressive and weirdly as you i think you use the word boring james there are minutes there are bits (laughs) where it actually then drags and you're kind of um yeah i just i probably won't carry on with this i've got enough bleakness in my life right now without (laughs) piling on anymore (laughs) see i thought this is one aspect of it that might actually appeal to you that it is relentlessly grim and bleak and depressing no because i just i it i mean that kind of level of i mean the graphic nature of that accident i found really really Mm. difficult and it's it's just that the the kind of the tension and um it's all so intense and yeah maybe normally that would be right on my street but i found it yeah oppressive is the only yeah. word i can it's think it's a of. lot over it remind the tone of it reminded me a bit of um prisoners the denis villeneuve yeah. film, which i love mm, which is incredibly intense watch, and bleak though. but it's only a two and a half hour film this yeah. is to, to sustain this over to that's the problem for it it, it is grueling it is grueling i think yeah and it, we, i tell you the we, the only we, the only light relief came for me is that tony curran's in it scottish actor tony curran who you recognize he played vincent van gogh in doctor who in a brilliant episode of doctor who richard curtis episode of doctor who and he was in this life and everything and he's scottish he's a he's a big ginger scottish guy and he's in, in there as michael stuhlberg's like enforcer and he's doing this really He's got in his Scottish accent. You're like, why is this Scott ended up number two to a to a gangster in New Orleans? It's never explained. So that was the only kind of accidental like relief for me. But I clung to that. Your Honor does air on Sky Atlantic on Tuesday, March the second at nine p.m. Next up this week we have Dollface. Now this is a Hulu show. Hulu, uh, <laughs> new to star, <laughs> and one that sees Cat Dennings as Jules, who is dumped by her long-term boyfriend and embarks on a quest to renew lapsed friendships with all of her former girl pals. All, by the way, of a series of somewhat bonkers and inconsistent interludes, including a feline bus driver and an ambulatory dining table. Now. 
Terry, I have a sneaking suspicion that this will not be on your shows of the year list this year. Would that be accurate? Would it fuck? I love this. <laughs> oh my I God. I love this. So I read some negative reviews of this um, oh. out of the US where it's already aired. And I, um, I remember reading them and thinking, oh, God, this sounds fucking dreadful. <laughs> I can't wait not to watch it or to watch it and then slag it off. I loved, and maybe it's because I watched it straight after uh, Your Honour. But, <laughs> but I loved this. Right, so let's go back to the beginning. As you say, stars Kat Denning, who, by the way, I think is magic. Um, she's a girl who gets dumped over brunch um, and she tries to re-enter the world of women and friendship. So after getting dumped at brunch... She's picked up by an old cat lady who is literally an old cat lady, an old lady with a cat's face on a bus full of other women who've also been dumped. And then she's taken it back to her old best friend who she tries to convince to let her back into their world. They are Madison, um, played by Brenda Song, and Stella, played by Shane Mitchell. Beth Grant is amazingly the old cat lady. Now, I'll tell you what I like about this. And we should say this is actually from a um, somebody called Jordan Weiss, who is a first-time showrunner, basically wrote this straight after graduating um, from some kind of creative college. Kat Dennings is an exec producer, as is Margot Robbie and her husband, uh, Tom Ackerley. I'll tell you what I loved about this is it completely deconstructs and demolishes this thing that i hate which is this empowered pink instagram girl boss both feminine bollocks we're force-fed all the time which is all of that you go girl like come and hang out our private members club that is all designed in fucking pink and peach and we give you seminars on how to superpower your girl power and all this like fucking girl boss shit all of this get up at 5am and do yoga and I hate it. I hate it all. It's all this confection that millennial women particularly are fed. Um, and it does this in kind of small ways and big ways. So the old cat lady, like, you know, the whole thing around cat, women with cats and all of that, she literally turns her into an old cat lady. There's a brilliant bit where they're driving the bus and they go past the cool girls which are a bunch of girls roaming the desert with eight packs of beer under their arse saying how much they like gaming, which really made me laugh. <laughs> There's a stop at Rebound Town where a not very hot guy who still lives with his mum is there waiting for you to like jump into his arms. They get to a terminal where they're told to collect their emotional baggage. She can't because she's been neglecting her friends for so many years that all of her friendships are expired. It's a brilliant bit where there are a group of girls talking about squads. And she tries to kind of undercut us and go, oh, you know, we've fed all this stuff about squads. Turns out they're actual soldiers and one of them got shot in the arm. <laughs> it's incredibly heightened. There are these weird dream fantasy sequences. Um, and at the heart of it, it's really about kind of, as I say, this this fiction we're fed around performative friendships, around performative femininity, what that looks like, what it means. Um, and I, I just loved it. I thought it was really funny. I thought all of the stuff it was digging into is absolutely stuff that that nobody's really calling out in a proper way. I haven't watched enough yet to be able to tell you if it kind of develops, I suppose, what I would call more substance in terms of there being a proper 
um, story arc at the heart of it, but I almost don't care because I just thought, and I say this as a woman, those observations that make up this show are so on the money, let me tell you. They are so specific and they are so brilliant. And there will be there could be some people who say, oh, well, it's anti-woman in that sense. Because what if you are a woman who's into gaming and, and likes your eight pack of beer? But much the same as the cool girl sequence in Gone Girl, what it's pulling apart is the way that women present themselves, package themselves, repackage themselves within a patriarchal society to appeal to men, to be more attractive to men, to have more of a chance of getting a partner, the ways that we contort ourselves and contort other women, the way that we completely repackage ourselves to try and appeal to a certain man, but actually just to try and to fit into society as a whole, the way we judge other women, the way we kind of expect a certain performance mothering i just i could have spent all fucking day with these women because they are absolutely bang on the money um and it's brilliant and i want to watch this over and over again until i die i did not see that coming at all um yeah i did not enjoy this however i do absolutely approve of the entirely on-brand pilot tv massively over intellectualizing a tv show so well, also I'm not going to say that you can't have an opinion because you have a penis. But I'm <laughs> <Yeah>. also, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I yeah. You kind of are, aren't you? <laughs> I am going to say that um, perhaps we could accept that my perspective yes. is different to yours yes, being, a, being yeah. a woman who lives within the world that they are Yeah, depicting. no, completely. And also, given that I don't understand or like sitcoms full stop, <laughs> yeah. presumably that yeah. also factors in. Is this a thoughtful take on womanhood? I don't feel particularly qualified to say. I didn't necessarily <laughs> get that when I watched it. Um, I felt the character work was pretty weak. I I mean, I hate the super heightened tone. Like, hate, hate, hate I it. Love the it. utter it's absurdity so of it made me, made me want to punch something but i found the dialogue very bland and i felt cat dennings was really wasted like i've got a lot of time for her i think she's great i think she plays darcy brilliantly in the mcu and obviously in wandavision as well i think she's great at that kind of comedy and here it felt a bit like i didn't like two broke girls either like i felt that it was just a bit too on the nose and i just the, the comedy in this just didn't land for me i found all the characters in this all of them two or one crushingly irritating of course you did um but i did i found the weirdness bold and i thought you know when the cat lady comes in where did that sequence that's realist sequence at the beginning although to me it felt a bit like you know budget good place type stuff and you know even scrubs that i think does surrealist comedy a lot better uh, i say even scrubs scrubs is great it's not even scrubs it's just scrubs but i like that, <laughs> that sequence although it was good but i thought it lost its way the more it went on and it becomes this sort of wild night out rambling around town and it's very much lost me but then equally this is not a show for me mainly because it's a comedy but the whole dessert, i mean even just the title of it right so dollface you probably yeah. don't realise this and you don't realise it till the end of the first episode where he calls her dollface and she says, I fucking hate it when you call me dollface. And there is a type of man in the world that calls you dollface. Like they're just in. <laughs> so even <laughs> the, it's not, the you know, there are so many obvious places to go in terms of, of the way men speak to you and what they say. Dollface isn't even that immediate. And I think that this may be accused of being too broad or too, you know, taking easy shots. Actually, I think it doesn't. I think it, you, I can understand why people may assume that, but even something like calling it Dollface, people go, what's wrong with being called Dollface? Because it so perfectly encapsulates a type of <laughs> dickhead who calls you Dollface. <laughs> 
yeah, the mere existence of the phrase doll face is, 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 yeah, is testament to that. I, uh, this won me over very early on with the observation that her fucking prick of a boyfriend played by, ex-boyfriend played by Connor Hines, names his, uh, is it cat or dog after, yes. after yes. Johnny Drama in Entourage. <laughs> yes. Yes. And yes. He, cat called Turtle. Yeah, yes. and, and she has to throw out his old Entourage DVDs. Um, the fact that he's a big fan of Entourage, I thought was a brilliant observation, um, and, and it was perfect. I also love there's a moment when she goes to see they're, they're doing this ridiculous, pretentious photo shoot with naked men um, in it, and naked men under a table, naked men standing there holding objects of furniture, and one, and then they take a break and they're having a big discussion. Kat Daniels' character and, and, and her mate, and this guy wanders past and just goes tzatziki. <laughs> he just grabs, yeah. and I thought that was really funny. Just the use of the word tzatziki um, by the this guy in the middle of this show was 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 hilarious. So I really liked it. I don't know why. I I I I, I can even tell you. Like, I. No, I don't. I don't know why this has had any bad reviews at all. It's because really pretty. It's not had a great reaction. Yeah, but, but it's maybe weird. it was just men reviewing it, Terry. Maybe I, that was I, it wasn't, weird. There wasn't, no, it wasn't. I checked. Yeah. I think it's very interesting. I think people have taken against it because it's quite. It's quite. In in it's quite mediary. It's like you know, mm. there's a world of like launches. There's a big set piece launch party for for an anal contraption, shall we say? <laughs> um, which is again really funny. It reminded me, like, because obviously, like you know, a lot of my life is spent going to launches. Like, I mean, people, I've seen people go on about oh, what I wouldn't give right now, you know, in lockdown for a launch party. I go to it, I'm like, really? They were fucking disgraced. They are, and this the one in this is really accurately <laughs> hideous, and I really identify with that. So I think because it's in that world and it's quite middle class and I think people yeah. are taking against it for that but fuck that I mean you know these are these are observations that go for anyone about the way you know about women and interrelationships and friendships and squads and the doofus dude and it, I, I so I'm mystified by by the back I think it's really clever and smart I think the writing's brilliant I, I love Cat Dennings Different yeah, I don't know what the problem with it is. I also think tone that the, the the surreal tone. It is. You're right. It's like those bits from you know, or Thirty Rock has a lot of those moments mm. where it's like those little you know fantasy moments happening in the mind of its characters. But for, for, to use that as the basis for the tone of this, I thought worked really well. Actually, I thought that it felt was very really... inconsistent. No, in I this don't one. think it's inconsistent at all. No, I don't. I thought it was consistent. I remember it starting very strong on the surrealist interludes, and then just drops them, and then you don't see any more for the remainder um... of the episode. They're meant to be sprinkled throughout. I yeah. think my issue was that they weren't sprinkled throughout. But the use of it is the use of it felt very deliberate to me. Um, and, you know, I and I get why some people might not like it. And I'm sure there are some women who think, well, I call me and my friends a squad. Like, do you think I'm a dick? Like, <laughs> I think this challenges both men and women yeah. in terms of like their behavior and the things that capture us and how we're sucked into that whole Instagram vibe and all of that. Um, but I thought it was really, really, really smart. Really smart. Yeah, I did too. Yeah. I mean, I do. I must be said when I watch shows like this, I do sometimes feel like I'm from another planet. Like I'm watching. I, I mean, just, you are. It, it's only not during bad. those moments. <laughs> yeah. Only during those moments. <laughs> and I'm watching this, thinking, I not only don't like this and don't find it funny. I can't even find a corner, an edge to get my nails under, like an access point where I can understand how a human being finds it funny or entertaining. Like it's, I'm completely walled off 
from being able to access this thing. But you, but not you at agree. All. I, when I was talking about the reference to Johnny Drama, and, and you, you, were, you were smiling yes, at no, that. I appreciated that. that reference. I thought You're that was a good reference. I liked that. <laughs> but taking the show as a whole, like, again, I have no problem with surrealist interludes as well. Loved Scrubs, really enjoyed them in Ali McBeal. I thought they worked really well there. But this whole show is so heightened to the point of absurdity that I think they lose a certain amount of effectiveness because there's, not, there's no counterpoint to it. It's all fucking stupid, whether it's being surreal or not. And there was a point, the point about this that annoyed me that the, the what summed up what made me want to punch this show was there was a point where two groups of women greet each other at the launch party and that start was squealing that was and, and it turns out they don't actually know yes. each other and I was just like I don't understand how this is funny that that's hilarious. just so that awful that was really that's funny brilliant observation yeah. that is a so brilliant I bit, yeah I also love the bit where there's the where's the group of dudes who are taking up a lot of space and she has to yes. plan to yes, run through them through. and that was so funny James where, that was funny where's the joke I thought that I thought they're building up to something, and I did. And then she pushes through, and I'm like, I don't understand oh the humour here. How is this? You music? are an idiot. The joke is, it's an observation that men take up that kind of room. I, I, of I, I foods, got that, and she has to, and she has to think of the way around them. The only way around them is to walk through them, literally. And it's hilarious. It was really funny. I just, oh my yeah, god, does not compute at all. But with it, me. it's all about weird social conventions, like that. That thing of, oh my god, it's so good to see you, blah, 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 blah. and yeah. you're like, you don't actually know each other. Like it's, it's skewed those things when she goes I didn't know you know each other they go oh we don't it's because that is often how you will see people greet each other who have never met or don't know each other at all it's skewering those weird social conventions and that faux kind of friendliness and all of all of that kind of surface bullshit it's dismantling all of it yeah I will say that I started to watch dead pigs this week, the Kathy Ann film. Mm -hmm. And I was watching it and the version I had didn't have subtitles. And I got about 20 minutes into it and realized that frankly, my Mandarin just wasn't on a level for me to understand this film at all when I had to turn it off. But that I found probably more accessible than this show. And that's literally not being able to speak the language. <laughs> I just don't understand this on any level. I can't compute. James, at all. part of appreciating art, whether that be TV, <laughs> film, music, is the ability to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. <laughs> Not what we currently have is if the show isn't about you or people you recognise, you can't watch it. That is not true, is as well just, you know. That is literally just what you said. No, I just don't, these are not believable real characters. This is what I it's didn't get about it. It's just a drama, James Dyer. I'm aware of the conventions of comedy. I'm just saying this show is just not particularly good. No. But you're, Just, but this you know, is the whole world of no. I think we've had this before. I think you decide to take again. You're like you decide. Oh, I can't do comedy. I can't. You know, I can't do anything that isn't direct. But you, you, you I sit there watching you. I when like comedies occasionally. Yeah, I know, but that's what I mean. But I think I think you overthink. When we then point out you do like quite a lot of comedies, then you're like, all right, yeah. But I, I think you have to just I think I think out, I have quite a specific niche where my sense of humour lives. And I think I'm very fine. I'm fine with comedy that either exists in that niche or overlaps it or occasionally strays into it. Comedy like this, which is quite diametrically opposed to my sense of humour, I just find inaccessible. I think maybe my humour is, is not broad. It's quite narrow. and <laughs> Maybe that's where I fall down. So, uh, this is not for me. Note to writers, <laughs> yeah. showrunners, and producers: if you can create your comedy in this very small yeah, window very of existence, window. A, a bit like Scrubs, James... but they're not too much like Scrubs, and a bit, yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, that, that would be great. Out. I would appreciate Jesus that. Thanks. <laughs> 
Anyway, Dollface begins on Star on Friday, March the 5th. Finally this week, we have The Walking Dead, which continues its 10th and penultimate season this week with a short burst of six bonus episodes, which are there to tide us over until the final season, the 11th season, which actually is going to be 24 episodes long and aired across two years. Uh, But this one, this is the 10th year, obviously, of an ongoing zombie apocalypse series that, let's be honest, Terry doesn't watch and never will. Uh, she's seen, to the best of my knowledge, one single episode in her entire life, has absolutely no earthly idea what is going on at this point. She is, of course, therefore, the perfect person to tell us about it, but even I'm not that sadistic. So, Boyd, what were your feelings about the continuation of Walking Dead Season 10? Well, I find it quite... I don't understand why um, The Walking Dead has this quite weird structure where they've suddenly decided to have these what i think they're calling them bridging episodes to mm. this is so this is like season 10 part c right um yeah. i don't know why they why they feel the need to even say that they're special episodes different to any other episodes leading to the bridging into the final season next year which will be apparently i think 20 20 episodes, 24, 24 yeah. episodes even that's all, that all confuses the issue. For me, this is just a continuation of The Walking Dead, and it's fine. I was quite excited because, you know, after there's a whole war that's been going on with another group in this series, but in in this episode, in the first episode of The New Batch, if you like, um, Maggie is back, played by Lauren Cohen, who's one of my favourite characters. And she's a character mm. who was in there right from the start. Well, um, and then she kind two. of, um, she left it, I think, um, seven, season seven or eight or something. After Negan murdered her husband, basically, Glenn. So where, there was that famous ending of which series of the series where, where Negan killed two people with a baseball bat with a wire wrapped around it. So not only was he, um, you know, a fucking absolute psycho, he was also cruelly, viciously killed these characters, and uh, one of whom was the husband of, of Maggie, who's now come back, Lauren. And he, of course, has now been welcomed back into the fold, so to speak, and they kind of, he is now, and she, so she's confronted by him in this episode. So not only is she back, one of the best characters in all of The Walking Dead, she also gets to confront Negan, who's also, you know, has been a very interesting character. So it is at least, that for me was the main crux of this episode. Um, And I thought that was really well done. And I think it was a reminder to me of the fact that at its best, The Walking Dead has very interesting, strong characters, really well performed, great cast, um, and, uh, Melissa McBride is brilliant as well, playing Carol. I really like her character. It's got a lot of really interesting, complex, three-dimensional women in it, and um, and it's really well done. And the kind of you know the horrory stuff, the the, the walkers that appear in, in this episode, and 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 you know how they deal with them, how they kill them off, is really well done. There are nice little moving moments, um, and so I, I thought it was a really good return for me. Like it's not a show I haven't watched every single episode, and I watched it at the start, and then I kind of fell out of love with it. A bit, and then I went back when the whole Negan storyline then arrived. I did the thing at the Edinburgh TV Festival around that whole at that time with the creators of it um, and the showrunners, and they're really interesting people, and they really kind of work hard at this show. They're really, really kind of you know. I mean, obviously, most people work hard on TV shows, but there was a real sense that they were taking this thing and trying their very best to make it a kind of make every episode cinematic to make every episode like a little self-contained kind of you know horror movie gritty horror movie if you like and i think you know along the way it's become so it's been a victim of its success because it's so popular it became so huge at one point it was the biggest show on, yeah. on, on in the world pretty much kind of before game of thrones if you like took that over it was absolutely fucking massive hence these bigger and bigger more longer seasons all the spin-offs you know the, the impending films that are going to happen with Andrew Lincoln, etc. It's become a, a, a massive cultural phenomenon. And I think 
that this uh, the original this show at uh, sometimes has kind of weakened because of that because the expectations are high and it's hard to maintain a show over that length of time 10 11 seasons with these number of episodes but then i watched this episode i'm like yeah i was reminded by what i liked about it at the start it's a really good episode mm. of the, the, the they're, they're very good at detailed character work and i think you're absolutely right that for me the crux of this was the maggie coming back lauren cohen's been a watch she's been off she's done another show it got cancelled now she's back <laughs> Um, you know, it is lovely to see that character return. And I think the dynamic here, the, the core of this episode for me was her. It's, it's almost just that one scene where she sees Negan yeah. standing there and he sees her and he just goes, hey, Maggie. And it's like, you are literally the guy who bludgeoned her husband to death yeah. with a bat. Yeah. And I, I I mean, I don't think this is quite a continuation of season 10. For me, these six episodes do feel a separate thing. And part of that is the way they were made. Like these were all made under COVID restrictions mm. and as a result, they are small, sort of low-key, character-driven episodes because they were shot that way. Like, you can't have, you know, a 100 zombie extras all breathing on each other because, hi, social distancing, you know. So they have to keep them lower-key. And I think after the war with the Whisperers, which is what came in Season 10, it's really nice to see that sort of shift down a notch. And the way they've structured these episodes are really interesting. So on the one hand, you could say this is filler between 10 and 11. So 11 is going to pick up the story with the Commonwealth, if anyone's read the comics, but you see them at the end of the previous batch of season 10 episodes in their sort of white plastic armor. Uh, and that's the last sort of storyline in the comics as well before the comics ended. But this one picks each one of these episodes, each one of these six episodes picks up with characters and, you know, whether it be Daryl and Carol or it's Gabriel and Aaron and they spend time together and you get a greater understanding of the bonds between them. And I often think that's when The Walking Dead is at its best, when you do have lovely little sort of like two-handers or three-handers with characters exploring their relationships. Because this this is a horror show and it is a zombie show. But more than that, it's a show about people. And they've always used this, this sort of ethic whereby the zombies are background noise. It is a setting. Some shows are set in the snow. Some shows are set in space. But that's a backdrop to the human drama. And I think The Walking Dead has always done that well, where the zombies are never the stars. They're always the scenery um but what excites me most about this particular season is the final episode which is episode 22 and episode 22 i haven't seen it so there are no spoilers here episode 22 is simply called here's negan and one of the reasons that excites me is if everyone's read the comics there is a standalone comic book called here's negan which is negan's origin story and i think the the possibility i think the likelihood that this is going to explore that how negan went from his old life to becoming who he was when we met him bludgeoning glenn's head in with a bat and then how he's come to where he is now that is fascinating to me because negan i genuinely think when he joined this show as jeffrey dean morgan as that character he ruined this show because that Ooh. scene where he kills glenn is so dark and so unpleasant and so twisted their viewing figures took a hit from that because people were like do you know what i'm done this is just vile and he was so over the top and that negan storyline went on for so long it became so labored and tedious that people rightly hated negan but i think jeffrey dean morgan did such an exceptional job with that performance and in the latter seasons the redemption arc for Negan has been so detailed and so believable that you have kind of forgiven him for who he was and also they've always kept that moral grey area that you know if you remember that sequence where Negan kills him yes it's awful and sadistic but you know their group like Rick's group they started it like they killed a bunch of Negan's men first before this happened so it's not like he just came completely out of the blue and I you know having read the comic Negan's backstory is fucking great and I think this 
this is going to be an amazing episode. Getting to understand that character, getting to see where he came from. And then, you know, presumably that I'm hoping that Maggie will be a part of that episode. How she then reconciles. I'm hoping maybe he tells this story to her. You know, I want to see how she is able to reconcile living in the same world, the same community with the man who killed her husband, with her little son there, who was just orphaned by Negan. You know, that's that's really exciting to me. So while The Walking Dead has been going on for fucking forever, <laughs> and while I don't watch The World Beyond because it's rubbish <laughs> and while i'm have stopped watching fear the walking dead because life is too short you know i'm pressing on with this and i have still not got to the point where i've had enough of the walking dead i think this this central original core series is still great and this certainly the first one or sort of the first two that they've given us of this little little strip of extra bonus episodes has has reminded me why i love it so you know if you don't watch it, it's hard for me to say to Terry, Terry, you've never seen The Walking Dead. I recommend you go back and watch I mean, the last 10 years of The Walking Dead because you're not going to do it. Absolutely but... not. It's Captain <laughs> Zombies. Also, like... Don't be a snob. You are being a snob. It's fucking being, zombies. What's a... wrong with fucking zombies? I'm being a zombie snob. Well, also, none of this makes any sense. So you made me watch this and I was like, okay, <laughs> right, I'm going to do a bit of research so that I at least understand what I'm watching because oh, otherwise it's going to be an episode in futility so i read about um nine reviews for season 10 episode one and then <laughs> when i saw the title of the episode i was like hang on why does that say season 10 episode 17 well, who just does a random extra <laughs> chunk of episodes that aren't within the main season for what reason because so- they pushed 11 back that's why because 11 would have started at the end of last year and it's now been pushed by a full year so this is kind of a bridging thing because the finale of season 10 got delayed by like six months last well, year that as well doesn't make any sense why not do just do season 11 then well because it's, it's a covid thing so like they they had to delay the airing of the finale and then obviously delayed the whole production of season 11 well, so they filmed these beats. six episodes why to did- drop here because to do season 11 i don't think you can do that easily with covid restrictions like it's it's a big large scale huge thing so i think they decided to do these little character-led ones to drop here and then i think we're going to get season 11 starting presumably at the end of this year but it's 24 episodes and then it'll go into i, to I, mean, I, I, I agree really with terry though it is confusing it is confusing that whole situation it is confusing. It's i'm a, not denying it's, it's confusing yeah i think it's a marketing mm. thing as well as much as anything especially if you've never fucking seen it so i've seen one episode before when you made me watch it for something else <laughs> i had samantha morton in it you enjoyed it i did enjoy the Samantha Morton I was excited to see her again until the catch-up showed her having a throat slit or something after being also whipped so I'm not really sure what happened there but so (laughs) I am I can't I can't even begin to tell you what I thought of this show because I I had no idea what was going on apart from I thought I got the gist she was angry at him for something and then um I was surprised there wasn't more zombie fighting, but apparently that's a COVID COVID thing. It's a shame they can't make their zombie action show in the time of COVID, so they still decided to make their zombie action show just with more talking. (laughs) Who watches The Walking Dead for all the talking? Um, I do. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's an hour of my life. I'm not going back again. I I also watched it twice because I was worried I didn't understand it. And then I realised... It doesn't really matter if you watch it twice because if you haven't watched the other 16 and a half seasons, then you won't understand it. So, dear listeners, (laughs) if you are like Terry and haven't seen any, don't just think you can jump into this, especially even if you're forced by a friend of yours who decided they're going to force you to watch it anyway because that isn't just an hour of my life I'm never getting back. It's now two hours of my life getting back plus all the hours I spent reading the reviews for season 17, episode one. 
<laughs> See, I feel that your reaction to The Walking Dead is not dissimilar to the opaque reaction I had to Dollface. Yes. <laughs> so, well, <laughs> I think all's fair. Yeah, well, I think we both found our kryptonite, right? So. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Well, if you are of a mind to continue watching <laughs> The Walking Dead, then this bonus run of six episodes begins today, Monday, March the 1st at 9pm on Fox UK. Uh, Robert Patrick turns up later in these episodes as well, if you're looking for a little bit of uh, Robert Patrick action. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go, there's a little tip for you, something yeah, to look out for. Thank you. Right, so is there anything else out this week, Boyd? In fact, I know there is, so why don't you just yeah. tell us what else Yeah, there's um, Deutschland 89, which is the third... It's either you either consider it to be the third series of or the third sequel to Deutschland 83, which was mm. uh, which arrived in 2015, and, and which is, according to um, records, the most highest-rated foreign-language drama in UK TV history, more than The Killing and Borgen and really? all those shows. Yeah, apparently. Deutschland 83 was on Channel 4. Um, you know, Now they've kind of moved it to... Deutschland 84 is on more for starting this Friday and um, I really like the first series it was about a kind of spy who gets groomed um, to spy on certain people with it and it was, it touches upon East Germany and West Germany and this series begins with the fall of the Berlin Wall which I think is a really interesting starting point for it so that looks really good that starts on Friday and then there's things oh there's another there's a finished drama on BBC4 which just started on Saturday because it's called The Man in Room 301 that's supposed to be really good um, the first ever finished drama on so if you like if you like basically if you like foreign crime dramas you're in for a treat this week there's a show called hapless which it arrives today on my five which is channel five's equivalent of all four channel five streaming service it's not on channel five itself slightly weirdly so it's um, they're just putting it on the streaming server but it's really fun it's kind of like it's basically an attempt to do a kind of british curb your enthusiasm kind of thing and it's about a guy mm. who works for the fourth most successful jewish newspaper in britain and he has to go around <laughs> finding jewish people eccentric jewish people to interview for his paper um and he's played by Tim Downey, who's really good. He's he was in Paddington. It's created by Gary Senor. I really liked it. I thought it was a really good um show. And I think that might be it. I'm assuming, Boyd, you did not watch Pacific Rim The Black. No, what the fuck's that? Which is Netflix's anime Pacific oh, Rim Christ, series. No. <laughs> no one well, needs anime. <laughs> no one needs anime Pacific Rim. No one Rim. needs anime anyway, that. That drops on Netflix on the fourth, in case you're interested. Uh, yeah. Um Oh, you know, BBC Two, I should mention this. It's show, you know the terror. Yes. Yeah. So BBC, you know, this whole thing that BBC now is like unearthing American imports that were on mm. more obscure channels. So they're showing the terror from yeah, Wednesday. season one, which is the, the season the one was really good. One. Yeah, mm. it was like all the frozen north and and um, yeah, it was quite intense and quite kind and, and it got a really good cast: Jared Harris, Tobias Menzies. Yes, right, yeah. and that comes to BBC Two on the fifth as well. Yeah, on the third Wednesday. Third. Yeah, I've got it down as the fifth. Oh, okay, there you go. Right. Okay. I see. I don't want to ask what the pick of the week is because I know what you're going to say, and it's going to make me sad. Dollface. Dollface. I mean, I like your honour as well, but Dollface was 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 the most enjoyable of the sh of the shows you watched this week. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm going to abstain from pick of the week this week. <laughs> yeah, hang on. You can't abstain. <laughs> yeah. You can't abstain. What is my pick of the week? It would have to be. I mean, for me, The Walking Dead is clearly the one that I enjoyed the most. So yes, I'm Walking Dead. If you don't watch Walking Dead, your honour. And if you hate yourself, then Dollface is obviously an option. Um, unbelievable. Yeah. If you it's have a vagina, Dollface. You don't even have to have a vagina if you have if you have an appreciative, <laughs> well-observed, very brilliantly done, well-written comedy. It's good. Well, luckily, I have none of those. No, things. that's true. <laughs> that's true. So By the not way. Me. Before you sign, I think I found a, a show for you to watch. For, yeah, have you, you? Oh, I'm excited. Yeah. Did you ever watch No Offense? Paul Abbott's No Offense on Channel Four. See, there's the the whiff of comedy about this boy. I no, think it's I a did drama. Watch... It's got elements of black comedy, but it's a it's a police drama. 
um, with Joanna Scanlon's in it. She's a, obviously she's mainly known for funny roles, but Alexandra yeah. Roach is in it. Paul Ritter, Colin Salmon, Sarah Soleimani. It was really good. It was really good. It's mostly it's a darkly it's a dark. It's got, but it's not a comedy. It's absolutely not a comedy. It's even, I, no, it's not. It's yeah, not. But it's, yeah, but it's, it doesn't take place in the grim real. Do you know what I mean? Like it's it not. Is. It's not. It's, no, it's, you're wrong. It has Give a, it a heightened go. edge to it, a, as I remember. So I don't remember much about it. I watched the first episode because, again, I think it was recommended to me, and I remember watching it and thinking, mm, mm, "This has the whiff of comedy about it. I want something serious. This is not working for me." Just, I think if, you should just, give it a go. Give it another maybe go. Maybe I'll give it another go. Yeah. Maybe I'll give it another go. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, and there's I, three we'll series see. of it, so keep me. You know, twenty-one episodes. It will keep me going. Keep me going. It will keep me going. That is true yeah. that is true well i guess we're done then um so we're finished but instead of exhorting listeners to give us a five-star rating this week although they absolutely should i realize i have not shared any reviews recently so i'm going to draw everyone's attention to one from mon and it says i will quote i like james the other two are okay brackets northern person from the midlands I live in Derby, so stop trying it on. And entertainment bloke. <laughs> he also he also says in brackets, who cares what's in heat? Um, they go over the top sometimes, but Dyer holds his own. Oh, this is brilliant. Not quite, not quite the ringing endorsement of a true Dyer hard, but as Ted Hastings would say, I do like the cut of his jib. Entertainment bloke and northern person from the Midlands. Entertainment bloke. I love hey, that. Hey. I am constantly stating I'm from the Midlands. James calls me Northern because James thinks anything north of Watford is Northern. And B, are you now just going to read the messages that praise you? Is this the the universe in which we now live in? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Pretty for, much. Don't force yeah. me to go through them and find somebody slagging yeah. you off and bring my own review to the podcast. Because <laughs> you know that well, will happen. We can have a review off next week. Um, all three of us are on social media at, Jesse, at James C. Dyer, at Boyd Hilton, and at Terry underscore White. And we will, as ever, be back next week. Uh, very likely with. I'm assuming possibly the one, which is Netflix's answer to Soulmates, which is slightly weird. Soulmates, which we reviewed the other week. Um, and as Boyd mentioned, the flight attendant possibly as well. Or that might be the week after we shall see. Uh, but in the meantime, I have three more episodes of Line of Duty to go in my speed rewatch. And I don't want to delay for one more minute. Ted Hastings is counting on me. Pilot out. I was seven days ago. Go on, fella. 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 My officers conduct themselves to the letter of the law, sir. The letter. We are only interested in one thing and one thing only. The cruise. One thing only. Seven days of the page. One thing only. It's Nick and Ben Coppers. Listen. Coppers. Coppers. Ben Coppers. Coppers. Listen. Coppers. Coppers. Break 15. Coppers. Listen. Coppers. Coppers. Ben Coppers. Coppers. Listen. Coppers. Coppers. Break 15. Coppers. Listen. Coppers.